Hi, I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. This podcast, we attempt to answer one question, and that question is, what's legal? Today, my guest is Russ Richelsoff. Russ is a distinguished attorney. He's a graduate of Arizona State University. He's a personal friend and largely considered one of the best in the criminal defense field. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be here. Russ, as we said, you practice criminal law. I do. And there's a lot of things about criminal law that I find odd. Who gets off? Who's convicted? Some of the people who are convicted, you don't think they should be convicted. Some of the th- people who are uh, found innocent, you, you wonder why. And the, then there's all this folklore and that people who believe they can uh, get off you know, on certain crimes and not be convicted. I'm hoping we can talk about some of those things today. We certainly can. So I want to ask you about some of the folklore I hear on DUIs. Everyone seems to have a recipe. How do you not get stuck in the DUI? And and frankly, I don't believe them. I, I find all the folklore about DUI just odd. Like I've once heard that... Um, you can get a DUI riding a horse. I don't know if you've heard those before. Um, would you? Can you share with us today some information about DUIs? Yeah, so there's really, I hear all this folklore too, and I always kind of laugh because there's really one way to, there's one surefire way to avoid getting a DUI, and that's just don't drink and drive. You can drink, or you can drive, but <laughs> Come on, don't Russ, do that's both not together. That's not fun. Um, so with regards to – so a question that I get asked a lot is, um, especially in Tempe where we're at, there's a lot of e-scooters. Yeah. So I'm constantly getting asked the question, um, if I'm drunk and I'm on a one of these little e-scooters, can I get a DUI? And the interesting answer to that is no, you can't get a DUI. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I see these guys all along Mill Avenue, all in and around Tempe. They're buzzing around the streets. They're they're on the sidewalk. Sometimes they're in the bike lane. It seems to me they're in a motor vehicle. It's got an engine. Actually, so the DUI laws in Arizona... Um, don't say motor vehicle. It says vehicle. So when you look at the definition of vehicle in Arizona state law, what you find is that certain electric vehicles are actually excluded from the definition of vehicle. And that includes um, electric bicycles, uh, electric mini scooters, and electric stand-up scooters. Okay. So... Most people, I mean, we know that the best way to avoid a DUI is just get an Uber. Don't drink and drive, right? But what exactly is the process? If if someone does make that unfortunate uh, 
mistake and going out, drinking and driving. What is the process when someone gets pulled over? What what happens? So when a person gets pulled over, um, you're usually getting pulled over for a minor traffic violation. Um, the type of violation that at two o'clock in the afternoon nobody cares about, but at two o'clock in the morning. Um, when the bars close, the police are looking for any reason to pull people over. The police know that the, just the more people that they pull over in those late night hours, the more people they're going to catch for DUI. So they don't actually know if you're drinking. They're looking. The, the police are trained to look for specific um, driving behavior, um, things like, you know, weaving, um, not you know, coming to a full stop, not, you know, going through a red light. Um, those are common um, signs or symptoms of impaired driving that the police are trained to look for. Um, but really any traffic violation um, can justify a stop. Okay. So it sounds like sort of the law of averages. The more they pull people over for little minor violations, the more likely they are to find someone in those wee hours that have been drinking and driving. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of impaired drivers out on the road in those late night hours. And just they're not going to catch all of them. But if they pull over enough people, they're going to find one. Okay. So you get pulled over. You know you're drinking. I hear people say, don't roll down the window. Because once you roll down that window, they're going to smell your breath. You know, they're, they're going to pull you out and do a field sobriety. You don't want to be accused of that. Just crack that window. Is, is that good advice? Is that even legal? I would say that's not good advice. Um, Why? You're going to get your window smashed. You know, it's very possible that the police will, if, if you don't follow their lawful commands, um, you know, they can use force. And, and I have seen situations where police have uh, smashed a person's window to forcibly remove them from a car. So but generally, if, that's not the right way to go about that. But things. I could just, you know, shove my driver's license and registration out that very crack of that window. I mean... It, is it, is it legal for them? Is it even legal for them to say, no, no, I need that whole thing down? Well, you could provide your information um, through the crack of the window. Uh, depending on what driving behavior the police officer observed, he's probably going to ask you to exit your vehicle. Okay. All right. So once I exit, what, and they suspect I've been drinking and driving... What happens next? What do they typically ask? So uh, they typically ask you, the, the starting question is usually always the same. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Um, where you're coming from is can be a very telling, oh, I'm coming from the bar. Um, that's going to be a hint that you might be uh, <laughs> driving while impaired. Um, they're also trying to engage in a conversation with you. Uh, because they're trying to smell, see if they can smell the odor of alcoholic beverages on your breath. Okay. So if they smell that, how do they take it to the next level? What do they typically ask? They'll usually ask, have you been drinking tonight? Okay. Or, or they'll ask, how much have you been? They'll skip that question and they'll just go to, how much have you been drinking tonight? I say, even though, let's say I, I was drinking, I say, none of your business. Is that even legal? Can I say that? Yeah. So 
I always recommend to people um, when you're pulled over for a traffic stop, especially after you've been drinking, the best thing to do is just exercise your right to remain silent. Okay. So you're required to provide um, your driver's license, uh, your vehicle registration, and your proof of insurance. But that doesn't mean that you need to make a whole bunch of confessions to the police <laughs> All right. or that you have to answer their questions. Okay. So I say at this point, none of your business and or I say where I've ever been to or how much I've been drinking, whatever it's been. But now that police, they want to take it to the next level. And, and that next level, is that typically field sobriety test? What is that? So usually um, they'll ask you to exit your vehicle. And what the police officer is going to do, they, they often start with a test called uh, HGN. It also stands for horizontal gaze nystagmus. Okay. What they're doing is they'll have you follow a, what they call a stimulus, uh, like a pen, and they'll, they'll have you stand in a particular position with your feet together, your hands at your side. Um, they're having you stand that way because they want to see how your balance is um, while you conduct this test. Okay. So I say, I'm not doing that. And that's what I recommend. I don't recommend that anybody does the uh, roadside test. So I could refuse that. You can refuse it. What's the consequence? The consequence of refusing it is that the police are permitted to use your refusal as evidence of probable cause to arrest you. Okay. So, okay. So I could refuse the field sobriety. Do they also give you that breathalyzer test right out there? So there is oftentimes the police have a handheld breath test called yeah. the portable breath test. Uh-huh. Um the portable breath test is not admissible in court. Okay. So there, it's the the use of the device is very limited, and what they can do with it, they can use it to confirm um, that there's alcohol present. Uh, the portable breath test spits out a number, but the device isn't calibrated, and it's not. Um, it doesn't meet the scientific tests required so to be admissible they, in court. Why do they even give it then? Why? What's the point? They're just confirming that it's alcohol on board and okay. not some other drugs. Okay. So at this point, I refuse the field sobriety. I refuse the breath test. I have a one-way ticket to jail, right? Well, you're, they're going to take you on most DUI arrests. They actually don't book you into jail. They, well, they usually, do. they usually just transport you to either what they call a DUI van, which is really a DUI RV. <laughs> it's RV, okay. It's, it's, a, it's not a van, or they transport you to a police station. Okay, is this a good thing? Um, it's. I think people would rather be home in their beds. Okay. But, um, <laughs> All right. They'll, they'll transport you to the police station. Most people are held for about an hour um, while the DUI tests are completed, and then they're released. Okay. They take your blood at this point, right? They can take your blood or your breath or your urine. Okay. Although they, they don't really do urine <clears throat> anymore. So what have I really accomplished then? If I, by refusing these tests, have I, have I pushed back how much that my chances of getting a DUI by doing this? Well, you're diminishing the amount of evidence that's going to be presented to a jury if your case goes to trial. Um, 
The field sobriety tests, most police agencies in the Valley also have body camera videos. Um, so if you're falling all over yourself while you're doing a field sobriety test, um, it's not going to look good for okay. a jury. Okay. So you're, you're limiting the amount of evidence that can be presented to the jury with regards to whether or not you're impaired. All right. So at this point, you're sunk, right? I mean, if you've been drinking and driving and they've done the breath or the urine or the, the blood test, you're pretty much sunk. You've got your DUI. You're stuck with it. Is that right? Not necessarily. Why not? So there are a lot of legal procedures the police have to follow. Um, and then in the testing of the blood, there's a lot of scientific procedures that need to be followed. And so if the police mess up on any of the legal procedures that they're supposed to follow, um, the way that they're supposed to advise you of um, of the blood test, the way that they're supposed to ask you whether or not you'll submit to a blood test is very specific. If they mess that up, it could be grounds to keep the blood or breath test out. Okay. So what you're talking about is the proverbial legal technicality. Is that what you're trying to tell, tell me? What I'm saying is that the police need to be held accountable when they don't follow the rules. Oh, so that... we're required to follow the rules. <laughs> right. The police are also required to follow the rules. Okay. So bottom line, what what's your advice? You, you know, it, what, at this point, once you have, they've got the breath, they've got the urine or, or the blood test, what are you going to do? Now, you know they're going to, charges are going to follow. What is a, what does the citizen do to protect himself? Well, the, the most important thing to do after a DUI arrest is, is um, make an appointment to talk to an attorney. Uh, after a DUI arrest, the police can serve you with a uh, driver's license suspension. You have 15 days to contest that suspension. If you don't contest it, your driver's license will automatically be suspended for 90 days. So it's be before the conviction. Before the conviction, yes. You have a suspended license. Yes. That's rough. Yeah. So it's it's just for the arrest that your license wow. can be suspended. That doesn't seem right to me that, that, that you could be essentially, I mean, driving is, that's how we get to work. That's how we pay our bills. My experience, the loss of the privilege to drive is the biggest penalty for people um, when they're convicted of a DUI offense. Russ, I think we've covered. Is there anything else you think we need to cover on this? I, you know, my recommendation to people is always before you go out drinking, because once you start drinking, good planning goes out the window. Before you go out drinking, have a plan for how you're going to get to and from wherever you're going to be drinking and stick with that plan. Russ, thank you for coming out and sharing your knowledge about criminal law. Hopefully, I won't ever have to use you. Hopefully, none of my friends have to use you. But if I ever had a friend who needed to use you, right, um, how would they actually get a hold of you? Well, if your friend has a legal problem and needs to get in touch with me, I work for Davis Miles McGuire Law Firm. Uh, our phone number is 480 Six eight zero zero. All right. Thank you once again. 
Uh, listeners, this has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? I'm your host, Bob Sewell, and our guest today was Russ Richelsoff. And that's the end of the show. Thank you. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.